Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Mr Stephen Doughty. Question number one, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Stephen Doughty. Mr Speaker, we have no clarity on access to the single market, huge disadvantages still in energy costs, and foreign steel being used in our key defence projects. We know the Prime Minister likes to try to channel the Iron Lady, but when is she going to show some metal in standing up for British-made steel? stood up for British made steel and we've made a number of measures that have improved the situation for the steel industry but the honourable gentleman says that there is no clarity in relation to Brexit. I am very clear that what we want to achieve is the best possible deal for businesses in the United Kingdom to be able to trade with and operate within the single European market. Raymond Chishti. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister, I applaud the Government's continued commitment to infrastructure development with 6,000 projects in the pipeline worth $480 billion. Can the Government quickly and speedily take forward the Lower Thames crossing and extra investment in Kent roads which will help provide more homes, jobs, businesses and help people in Kent, Medway and the Thames Gateway area? I'm grateful to my honourable friend and I'm grateful to him for recognising the contribution that the government's made in increasing investment in infrastructure, the importance of that investment. Uh, We have consulted on uh, proposals around a lower Thames crossing. There were more than 47,000 responses to that consultation. Those are now being considered and my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Transport, will make uh, his response to that consultation in due course. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, Mr. Speaker, could I take this opportunity of welcoming Nisa Constance McGinn and hope that the evidently effective crash course in midwifery undertaken by my honourable friend, the member for St. Helens North, isn't a sign to the government that we believe in uh, downgrading midwifery training? (laughs) Mr. Speaker. Mr Speaker, just a few months ago on the steps of Downing Street, the Mr Speaker, just a few months ago on the steps of Downing Street, the Prime Minister promised to stand up for families who are just managing to get by. However, however, we now know that these were just empty words, as this government plans to cut work allowances for exactly those families who are just getting by. Isn't it the case that her cuts to universal credit will actually leave millions worse off? Well, first of all, can I congratulate the Right Honourable Gentleman on the birth, I understand, of his granddaughter. Uh, and No? I'm sorry, in that case I'm completely missing. <laughs> In that case, Mr. Speaker, can I just say that perhaps one should never trust a former chief whip? (laughs) 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 And uh, 
point that the right honourable gentleman on the point that the right honourable gentleman has raised in relation to universal credit. The introduction of universal credit was an important reform that was brought about in our welfare system. It's a simpler system so that people can see it uh, much more easily where they stand in relation to benefits. And crucially, the point about universal credit is making sure that work always pays. As people earn more, they, uh, as people work more, they earn more. It's right that we don't want to see people just being written off to a life on benefits, that actually we're encouraging people to get into the work Place. Mr. Speaker, it's a bit unfair to blame a former chief whip for some little bit of confusion. Very ungallant. Can't we just admire the member for St. Helens North on his work? Uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, Mr. Speaker, her. Mr. Speaker, it's extremely, it's extremely rude to point. Mr Speaker, her predecessor abandoned these same cuts to working people through the tax credit system. Now she, as Prime Minister, is enacting them through universal credit. The Centre for Social Justice says these cuts will leave three million families £1,000 per year worse off. Why is the Prime Minister slipping the same cuts in through the back door? I have to say to the right honourable gentleman, at least my former chief whip has got a job. Yeah. <laughs> Can I? On, on, on the serious point that he raises about universal credit, I repeat what I've just said. I think it is important that we look at why universal credit has been introduced. It was introduced because under the benefit system under the Labour Party, under the Labour government, what we saw was too many people uh, finding that they were better off on benefits than they were in work. What is important is that we value work, we value getting people into work where they are able to work, but we want a system that is fair. And it's a system that is fair both to those who need the benefits, but also fair to those who pay for the benefits through their taxes. And there are many families, there are many families struggling to make, make ends meet who are paying for the benefits of others. I want a system that's fair to them as well. This week, uh, Mr Speaker, Oxford University studies found that there is a direct link between rising levels of benefit sanctions and rising demand for food banks. Yeah. A million people accessed a food bank last year to receive a food parcel. Only 40,000 did so in 2010. I welcome the Government's promise to review the work capability assessment for disabled people, but will she further commit to reviewing the whole punitive sanctions regime? It is absolutely right that in our welfare system we have a system that makes sure that those people who receive benefits are those who it is, who it is right to receive benefits. Well, that's why we have assessments in our welfare system. But it's also important in our welfare system that we ensure that those who are able to get into the workplace are making every effort to get into the workplace. That's why we have sanctions in our system. What the right honourable gentleman wants is no assessments, no sanctions, and unlimited welfare. That's not fair to those who are accessing the welfare system, and it's not fair to the taxpayers who pay for it. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Mr. Speaker, according to the Sheffield Hallam University study, one in five claimants that have been sanctioned became homeless as a result of it. Many of those included families with children. Mr. Speaker, could I recommend the Prime Minister supports British cinema and takes herself along to a cinema to see a Palm Door winning film, I, Daniel Blake? And while she's doing so, perhaps she could take the Work and Pension Secretary with her, because he described the film as monstrously unfair and then went on to admit that he'd never seen it. So he's obviously got a very fair sense of judgment on this. But I'll tell the Prime Minister what's monstrously unfair. Ex-servicemen like David Clapson dying without food in his home due to the government's sanctions regime. It is time that we ended this institutionalised barbarity against often very vulnerable people. I make... I have to say to the Right Honourable Gentleman that, of course, it is important that in our welfare system we ensure that those who need the support that the state is giving them through that benefit system are able to access that. But it is also important in our system that those who are paying for it feel that the system is fair to them as well. That is right. That is why we need to have work capability assessments. It is why we need to have sanctions in our system. Now, the Right Honourable Gentleman has a view that there should be no assessments, no sanctions and unlimited welfare. I have to say to him that the Labour Party is drifting away from the views of Labour voters. It is this party that understands working class people. Speaker, the housing benefit bill has gone up by more than £4 billion because of high levels of rent and the necessity of supporting people in that. Is that a sensible use of public money? I think not. In, respo- in response to the March budget, Mr. Speaker, I asked the Chancellor to abandon. I asked the Chancellor, Mr. Speaker, to abandon the £30 cut for disabled people on employment and support allowance, unable to work, but who, with support, may be able to work in the future. They want to be able to get into work. What evidence does the Prime Minister have that imposing poverty on people with disabilities actually helps them into work? I'm pleased to say that what we've seen under this government is nearly half a million more disabled people actually in the workplace. My right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Work and Pensions, has launched a green paper on work which is starting to look at how we can continue to provide and increase support for those who are disabled who want to get in the workplace. But he started his question by asking me about the increase in the money that's being spent on housing benefit. If he thinks that the amount of money being spent on housing benefit is so important. Why did he oppose the changes we made to housing benefit to reduce the housing benefit bill? Mr Speaker, as the Prime Minister well knows, my concern and those of my party are the incredible amount of money being paid into the private rented sector by excessive rents and that could be brought under control and handled much better. Mr Speaker, many people in this House will have been deeply moved by my honourable friend, the member for Swansea East article about the tragic death of her son and having to take out a bank loan to cover the funeral costs. The Prime Minister may be aware that the Sunday Mirror, with the support of the Labour Party, are calling for an end to council charges for the cost of parents of laying a child to rest. 
It would cost £10 million a year, a very small proportion of total government expenditure, to ensure that every council could ensure that those going through the horror of laying a child to rest did not have a bill imposed upon them by the local authority to put that child to rest. I hope the Prime Minister will be able to consider this and act accordingly. I, I recognise the issue that the uh, Right Honourable Gentleman has raised. There are, of course, facilities available uh, through the Social Fund Funeral Expenses Payment Scheme for payments to be made available to people who qualify, meet those eligibility conditions. Of course it's difficult for anybody when they have to go through the tragedy of losing a child uh, and then facing the consequences uh, of the sort that the Right Honourable Gentleman makes. It, we are making sure, of course, in relation to local authorities, that they now have the extra revenues of, uh, available to them through business rates, other local revenues. It is, up to, it is up to councils to consider what they wish to do in this. But I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman that there are facilities available through that Social Fund Funeral Expenses to deal with the issue that he raises. David McIntosh. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Northamptonshire has for a long time been affected by a growing population without the right level of funding for our public services. Can my right honourable friend assure me that the current reviews into the funding formulas for schools, policing and health will properly reflect the population growths in Northampton and the rest of the county so our services get the funding they need? Well, I, I can say to my honourable friend that, of course, we have protected the uh, school's budget uh, in relation to funding per, paid per pupil. We're protecting the police budget. But, of course, as we look at the various ways in which we're funding public services in his constituency and in the county of Northampton, we will, as we look at these various formulas, be looking at that very issue of what is right in terms of the need of the local area and the numbers of people there. So, Angus Robertson. Yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. It's with sadness that we learned of the death of a service in a live firing ex, uh, uh, exercise and the range in Tain and no doubt the Prime Minister and honourable and right honourable colleagues across this House will extend their condolences to the family, friends and colleagues of the serviceman who has died so yeah. tragically. Uh, the Prime Minister says that she wants to tackle international and domestic tax avoidance uh, and serious criminality. We on these benches support this. If she was told that specific UK financial vehicles are being used for tax avoidance and other serious criminality, what would she do about it? Can I first of all say to the Right Honourable Gentleman that I am sure, as he says, the whole House would wish to pass on our condolences to the friends and family of the serviceman who has died at the Tame uh, range. He mentions tax avoidance. Yes, indeed, we have done a significant amount in relation to uh, tax avoidance. He says, what should anybody do if they've got evidence of uh, people actually avoiding tax? I suggest he speaks to HMRC. Mr Angus Robertson. Scottish Limited Partnerships were established by this House in 1907 and they are being aggressively marketed internationally, especially in Eastern Europe. The International Monetary Fund has warned of the risk posed by SLPs in the fight against global money laundering and against organised crime. It is now a matter of public record that SLPs have acted as fronts for websites peddling child abuse images and that they have been parts of major corruption cases in Ukraine, Uzbekistan, Latvia, Moldova, and include the arms industry. Now, given the seriousness of this issue, the Prime Minister's commitment to deal with criminality, but the lack of progress on SLPs, will she agree to meet with me to discuss a joint way forward? Yeah. Yeah. 
the, the right honourable gentleman raises issues around criminality uh, and investigations into criminal activity that's taking place, and he talks about the, uh, the uh, issue of websites peddling child abuse and child sexual exploitation. It is precisely in order to increase our ability to deal with this criminal activity that we created the National Crime Agency, yeah. that we have been ensuring that we have been working on other issues with the city, like money laundering, uh, and we are looking at the whole question of how we can ensure that we're taking effective action on criminal activity. And I'm pleased to say to the Right Honourable he keeps saying, will I meet with him? I, as he knows, I do meet with him on, uh, on occasions. I'm always, always happy to meet the Right Honourable Gentleman. But if he wants to talk to me about dealing with criminal activity, then I will be able to tell him about the work that has been done over the last six years under this Government in terms of the National Crime Agency, working with the City on money laundering and enhancing our ability to deal with exactly the sort of criminal activity he's talking about. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister agree that it's disappointing that we didn't hear from the Leader of the Opposition any welcome for the huge boost to manufacturing and employment that's come from Nissan's decision to produce two new models and their budget? Uh, does she agree that demonstrates great confidence in the UK with benefits throughout the supply chain, including companies like Automotive Insulations in my constituency? My, my honourable friend is right in two senses. First of all, it's extremely disappointing that the right honourable gentleman, the leader of the opposition, hasn't actually welcomed, uh, unlike, unlike his uh, uh, colleague, the honourable member for, I think, Sunderland Western Washington, who has welcomed the fact that these jobs have been saved in uh, her constituency and in the supply chain around the country. And it's that supply chain which is every bit as important. And I say to my honourable friend that I know that automotive insulation in his constituency are receiving money as part of a project funded through the Advanced Propulsion Centre, and I wish them all the very best for the future. David Simpson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. What assurances can the Prime Minister give to the agri-food sector right across the United Kingdom that it will be given the important status that is required when it comes to any Brexit negotiations? I can absolutely assure uh, the honourable gentleman that we're determined, first of all, to get the best possible deal on uh, uh, exiting the European Union for the British people. We're looking at the various sectors. We're very conscious of the importance of the food and agricultural sector uh, across the United Kingdom, but obviously, particularly of the importance of that sector to Northern Ireland. And we will be doing everything we can, first of all, to listen uh, to the representations made by the Northern Ireland executive, but then to ensure we get the best deal possible for our agri-food sector. Ben Howlett. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, last week's announcement on the Accelerated Access to Medicines report will make a positive impact to the lives of children and adults with a rare genetic or undiagnosed condition. For decades, patients have struggled to get access to medicines in a timely fashion, and the progress made by my honourable friend for Mid-Norfolk will really ma make a massive progress on that. Will the Prime Minister confirm that if the programme is successful with the first five to ten drugs in the first year, that it will be extended to further drugs in the following years? Well, I, I, my honourable friend is right to welcome uh, the uh, accelerated access review that has taken place. He's also right to pay tribute to our honourable friend, the member for Mid Norfolk, who has done so much to place uh, life sciences in the UK uh, on the agenda and to ensure that we are able to uh, see the UK developing as the best possible place uh, to develop new drugs, which is exactly what we want to see. The, as regards the recommendations from the review, the Department of Health will be looking at those and responding to those shortly. But I think that this 
this uh, is an important development uh, in terms of our ability to accelerate that access to drugs, which is to the benefit of patients. Callum McCaig. Yeah. Mr. Speaker, yeah. recent weeks have seen three government ministers express three different views on what will happen, while industry cries out for clarity. Not Brexit, surprisingly enough, but the oil and gas industry. So can I ask the Prime Minister, will she bring forward additional support for this industry in the autumn statement, or is she happy to sit back and see thousands more jobs lost? I say to the honourable gentleman that, of course, we understand that the challenges that the UK oil and gas industry are facing, and those are, of course, uh, we take those very seriously. But I also say to him that's why we've established the Oil and Gas Authority. Uh, that's why we've taken action, the 2.3 billion package of measures in the last two budgets, to make sure that the North Sea continues to attract investment and to safeguard the future of this vital national asset. There's a range of measures that we have taken. We understand concerns around the oil and gas industry, and that's why the government has already taken action. Kelly Tolhurst. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Rochester Airport and Medway City Industrial Estate in my constituency are home to a growing number of successful science and tech SMEs that are doing wonders for innovation in our economy. Ahead of my right honourable friend's trade mission to India, I would like to congratulate her decision to take a cohort of SMEs to help increase trading relationships with merging economies. Could I ask if her dedication will continue in ensuring all parts of our economy are able to seize the opportunities that present themselves as we leave the EU? Well, my, my honourable friend is absolutely right about the importance of small and medium-sized businesses, uh, and particularly, obviously, as she's referenced in the technology industry. That's why I'm pleased that in my forthcoming trip to India, I will be taking uh, leading small and medium-sized businesses in both life sciences and technology sectors. I think it is important to enable them to forge those trade, trading links with India. And I can assure my honourable friend that as we look at leaving uh, the, uh, the arrangements for leaving the European Union, we will be taking the interests of all sectors into account. Angela Smith. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Tata Speciality is a big employer in my constituency and its workforce is worried by the long period of uncertainty that has been enacted by Tata Steel. So will the Prime Minister use her trade visit to India to secure from the company the future of steel production in Britain and to convey the importance of Tata acting as a responsible owner and in the case of speciality, seller of its UK <coughs> steel assets? I can assure the Honourable Lady that we recognise both the importance of steel and the importance of Tata in uh, the United Kingdom. That is why, as a government, we have been continuing to have discussions with Tata on the future of steel here in, uh, in the United Kingdom, and will continue to do so. Mr David Warburton. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As, as I'm sure the Prime Minister will be aware, my constituency apparently contains more cows than any other. <laughs> and this means world-class cheese, from Godminsters and Barbers to Montgomery Cheddar and White Farms and many more. So can my right honourable friend assure the West Country's farmers that in negotiating the best deal for Britain in the coming weeks and months, the interests of our agricultural industry and farming community will be foremost in her mind? And will she pop down to Somerset soon for a chunk of cheddar and perhaps a drop of cider? <laughs> Free cheese. I think we're clear. We're grateful to the honourable gentleman, the Prime Minister. 
Well, I have to say to my honourable friend, his invitation for some West Country cheese and cider is an invitation that it's difficult to refuse. So I, I, uh, I look forward at some stage to, uh, to coming down into Somerset and being able to sample those products. He's absolutely right, as others in this chamber have been, about the importance of our agricultural sector to uh, economies across the UK, but particular parts of the UK, uh, obviously rely heavily on the agricultural sector, and we will be taking their needs and their considerations into account as we deliver, as we negotiate the best possible deal for this country in leaving the EU. Jeff Smith. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, this morning, the High Court ruled that the government has comprehensively failed to properly tackle air pollution. Which does the Prime Minister feel is worse? The government losing in the High Court for a second time, or the 40,000 early deaths that re result from air pollution every year in the UK? Yeah. Well, as I have, I've been asked about air quality in this chamber previously at PMQs, and I've always made clear, I've always made clear that we recognise that there is more for the government to do. To do, we have been doing a lot in this uh, in this area. We have been putting extra money into uh, actions that will. Uh, uh, relieve the issues around air quality, but we recognise that we now, DEFRA now has to look at the judgment that has been made by the courts, and we have to look again at the proposals that we will bring forward. Nobody in this House doubts the importance of the issue of air quality. We have taken action, there is more to do, and we will do it. Mr Robert Courts. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister will remember visiting the Whitney constituency recently. I am pleased to report that Chipping Norton has been shortlisted for the Great British High Street Awards. Does she join me in congratulating the small businesses of Chipping Norton? And can she tell me what support government offers to the small businesses in our market towns? Can I, can I take this opportunity, which is my first opportunity, to, uh, in this chamber to welcome my honourable friend to this chamber and for his excellent uh, result in the by-election? Uh, can I just say his question brings back many happy memories for me because, as a child, Chipping Norton was indeed our local town and I used to go there and spend my pocket money assiduously in the, in the shops in Chipping Norton. So I've done my bit for his high street in Chipping Norton and we are very clear as a government that the action we've taken on issues like business rates are there to help support small businesses. Well, we're, we're always grateful for a bit of extra information. <laughs> and we've now had it. Mr Gavin Newlands. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This government's record on <clears throat> immigration detention is disgraceful, with the UK being the only country in the EU with no time limit on detention. Yeah. Amidst concern over plans to replace Dungavel with a short-term detention facility near Glasgow Airport, the people of Renfrewshire want no part in these inhumane and ineffective practices. Will, will she use the closure of Dungavel as an opportunity to rethink her detention policy and end this stain on her human rights record? The Honourable Gentleman will know that a lot of work has been done by the Government on the whole question of immigration detention and a number of changes have, been, uh, have taken place. We had an independent review that uh, took place about a year or so ago on the whole question of detention of people in the, in the immigration estate. But what I would say to the Honourable Gentleman is this. 
that I think it is important that where there are people who are due to be removed from this country, uh, who have, the, and the prospect is that actually they could be lost to the system if they're not being detained, there are circumstances in which it is right to detain people in the immigration estate. Now we need to get that, make sure we've got that estate right. That's why a lot of work has been done on this. But the fundamental point is that I think he, I suspect he doesn't think we should detain anybody in relation to immigration enforcement. We believe there are those who are rightly detained before we remove them from this country. Charles Walker. Mr. Mr. Speaker, when people make fun of Christianity in this country, it rightly turns the other cheek. When a young gymnast, Lewis Smith, makes fun of another religion widely practised in this country, he is hounded on Twitter by the media and suspended by his association. For goodness sake, Mr Speaker, this man received death threats and we have all looked the other way. So my question to the Prime Minister is this, what is going on in this country? Because I no longer understand the rules. Well, I, I understand the level of concern that my honourable friend has raised in relation to this matter. This is a balance that we need to, that we need to find. We value freedom of expression and freedom of speech in this country. That is absolutely essential uh, in underpinning our democracy. But we also value tolerance uh, to others. We also value tolerance in relation to religions. This is one of the issues that uh, we've looked at in the counter-extremism strategy that the government has produced. I think we need to ensure that, yes, it is right that people can have that freedom of expression. But in doing so, that right has a responsibility too, and that is a responsibility to recognise the importance of tolerance to others. Chris Stephen. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Today's daily record leads on DWP issues. So is the Prime Minister aware that a telephone call to the Department of Working Pensions by a severely disabled person or their carer can cost up to 45 pence a minute, with an average length of a call of 13 minutes this is a considerable sum from their social security entitlements. Should a disabled citizen pay this price, or does the Prime Minister agree with me that we should end this telephone tax on the most vulnerable in our society? The Honourable Gentleman raises an issue that has been raised on a number of occasions in this House. That's why the Government is implementing new guidelines in relation to the operation of these telephone lines and the number of lines which are costing people in the way that he refers to are being reduced. So the Government has recognised the issue and is taking action. Maria Caulfield. The last 18 months have been hell for commuters in my constituency in Lewis using the Southern Rail network. Last night, a journey that should have taken just over an hour took over four hours. Can I therefore beg the Prime Minister to intervene on the Southern Rail network? For while we have a country that works for everyone, in Sussex we have a railway that works for no one. I feel for my honourable friend in relation to the journey that he had, she had to uh, uh, go through last night and the extended time that that took. We have my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Transport, has been taking action in working with Southern Rail and Network uh, Rail in relation to the improvements that are necessary. And we have stepped in to invest £20 million specifically to tackle the breakdown on the Southern Rail network that is uh, being proving so difficult to, uh, to passengers. But I recognise the degree of concern about this. My so- honourable, right honourable friend, the Secretary state for transport is on the case and is working to ensure those improvements. Steve McCabe. Has the uh, Prime Minister spotted the ludicrous refusal by FIFA, the Footballing Federation, 
to let our players wear poppies at the forthcoming Scotland-England game? Will he tell the respective associations that in this country we decide when to wear poppies? And they'll be wearing them at Wembley. I think, I think the stance that's been taken by FIFA is utterly outrageous. Our football players want to recognise and respect those who have given their lives for our safety and security. I think it is absolutely right that they should be able to do so. I think our footballers, it's for our football associations, but I think a clear message is going from this House. We want our players to be able to wear those poppies. And I have to say to FIFA that before they start telling us what to do, they jolly well ought to sort their own house out. Could I, could I congratulate my right honourable friend on her recent announcement of a task force to stamp out the vile business of modern slavery? And would she join me in congratulating my constituent Mike Emberson and the Medai Trust on their 10 years of work with the victims and the 70 places they now provide across their homes for these most unfortunate women? I'm I'm very pleased to endorse the comments of my honourable friend. I've actually met uh, representatives from the Menai Trust and and talked to some of the victims that they have helped. It is absolutely right that we continue the momentum in our fight against modern slavery. This country is leading the world. Uh, We should continue that fight because, sadly, still too much slavery is taking place on the streets and and, uh, in the towns and villages of this country. That's why the task force that I've set up will continue that momentum. We will be relentless in our pursuit of ensuring that we eradicate modern slavery. Gordon Marston. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In July, the Armed Forces charity SAFO published its in-depth survey of nearly 1,000 working-age veterans. 85% of them thought the UK didn't give them enough support. Only 16% thought the Armed Forces Covenant was being implemented effectively. So what's the Prime Minister doing personally to change this? We have, we absolutely recognise the debt that we owe to our veterans. That is why we have in the Armed Forces Covenant and throughout the work that the Ministry of Defence is doing, increasingly recognise the support that is necessary for veterans. But he, he talks about what we can do. One of the things we can do is to help people who are coming out of the Armed Forces actually find their way into the world of work. That's why it's important both that we have a system that helps them to find the support that's necessary to get into the world of work, and also we have an economy that is providing the jobs that people need. Martin Vickers. Mr Speaker, uh, this week it is Offshore Wind Energy Week. Uh, the development of the offshore wind sector is vital to my Cleethorpes constituency. Can my right honourable friend assure the industry and my constituents that the government will continue to work with the industry to develop future jobs for the young people with a particular emphasis on training? Well, I'm, I'm happy to uh, reassure my honourable friend that the government will continue to work with this industry. It has been an important development for the United Kingdom. It's been an important part of the uh, uh, amount of uh, energy that we're now generating from renewables. But as he said, it does provide jobs, and we do need to ensure that we look at the training for people to be able to take up their, those jobs. That is why skills is part of the uh, work that we're doing on our future industrial strategy. Yeah. Mr Nigel Dodds. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Will the Prime Minister agree with me that it is highly irresponsible 
possible and indeed dangerous for people to talk up the prospects of increased violence in Northern Ireland as a result of us leaving the EU. The people should use the agreed institutions set up under the various agreements, not stand outside them or create new ones. And will she also agree that Brexit will not result in any change, alteration or impeding of the way regions, countries and people within the UK connect with one another? Well, I'm I'm very happy to give the Right Honourable Gentleman that assurance in relation to movement around the United Kingdom. There is no change that is going to to take place. Uh, But it is right that uh, what we're going to do in Brexit is ensure that it is a good deal for the whole of the United Kingdom. And those who wish to encourage violence off the back of that, frankly, should be ashamed of themselves. I think it's absolutely essential that we all work together to make a success of this and get the best possible opportunities for people across the whole of the United Kingdom. John Howell. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Will she join me, will she join me in praising Henley on Thames for receiving its first tranche of community infrastructure levy money at the higher rate because it has a neighbourhood plan? Yeah. Uh, will she join me in praising neighbourhood planning generally yeah. as the best means of giving communities a say over the planning system? Yeah. Well, I'm very, very happy to uh, congratulate both my neighbouring MP, but also to congratulate Henley on Thames for having that, uh, for achieving that. And he's absolutely right. Neighbourhood uh, plans are a crucial part of the planning system. That is the way in which local people can have a real say in what is happening in their local area. Dame Rosie Winterton. Can I add my congratulations to my honourable friend, the member for St Helens? But moving swiftly from midwives to uh, doctors, is the Prime Minister aware that doctors in Doncaster are facing a crisis in primary care? Because as GPs retire, it's proving almost impossible (coughs) to get new ones to take over their practices. And because of restrictions in the Health and Social Care Act, NHS bodies cannot take necessary action, for example, to put in salaried GPs. Will she do something about this quickly? Because otherwise, many of my constituents will be left without a doctor. Uh, Mr Speaker, can I say, because I did uh, uh, not, after my uh, uh, unfortunate mistake that I made earlier about uh, the uh, right honourable gentleman, I failed to add my congratulations to her honourable friend, the member for St Helens, which I'm happy happy now to do. and can I, uh, but on the point of GPs, it is important, it is important that we see uh, the number of GPs coming through so that we can replace those who are retiring. We have seen over the last six years thousands of more GPs in our NHS, and that's why my right honourable friend, also my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Health, is ensuring that we have a programme to bring forward more GPs, more doctors into training, so that we can ensure that places like her constituency and others around this, uh, uh, for members around this house actually have the GPs in the numbers that they need. Order. 